Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Well, as Darren uh, mentioned, we're looking at at the uh, book of Ephesians. We'll be there for, for uh, a few months. Um, it is um, a, a serial letter that was um, written to probably five or six different churches traveling around the, the uh, valley, the Indus Valley there uh, in, in uh, Asia Minor. Uh, and it is a, a not a problem-solving letter like so many of the others that Paul writes. It's a, it's a letter to kind of frame uh, for that central church. The church at Ephesus was kind of a, a um, headquarters church, if you will, uh, for the churches in the region. And in fact, uh, the reason it's, it ended up there, I think, um, is because this was, this was a kind of a point of connection for all of the other six, so it would come back uh, and it became it becomes um, one of the, the primary uh, ways of framing uh, the New Testament, and uh, it, it, for me, it's interesting that this this letter here is written uh, to a church community uh, in which which serves as kind of a headquarters, uh, and then becomes the point of collection of the documents that become for us the New Testament. So, so the the 27 books in the New Testament are gathered together and collected here in Ephesus uh, just after the turn of the first century in their, in their basically their current form. 
by uh, the bishop, uh, by the pastor of Ephesus, whose name is Onesimus. You, uh, the first bishop, so to speak, of Ephesus was John, uh, the, the youngest disciple. And when he passed off the scene, just after, just around the turn of the first century, the, the, the new bishop of Ephesus was a, 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 a liberated slave named Onesimus, uh, whose story you may recall from the book of Philemon. Uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave uh, who stole from his master, uh, Philemon, and, and made his way to the big city to get lost in the metroplex of Rome. Unfortunately, discovered himself a cellmate with somebody named Paul, who who uh, knew Philemon, who led Onesimus to confess faith in Christ Jesus, and then upon his liberation, sent him back to a death sentence to Philemon, because a slave who was a runaway who had stolen from his master was under death sentence, under, under threat. And Paul wrote the letter that we now know as Philemon. To, Onesimus carries it with him and, and, and comes back humbly to his former master and gives him Paul's letter, which is his, his this thin piece of parchment separates him from between life and death. Uh, and obviously, uh, Paul's letter had the desired effect because not only is Onesimus liberated from his slavery uh, and, and from the threat of death, but he is also then becomes the next bishop after John in Ephesus. And he is the one who collects the 27 books that we now know as the New Testament uh, in, their, in their basic current form. If you've ever wondered, by the way, why the letter to Philemon, which is a personal letter about a personal matter, is in the New Testament, now you know. Without that letter, there wouldn't be a New Testament. Uh, it's, it's just one of those coincidences of, of church history. You just sit back and say, somebody really smarts in charge of something here. We better pay attention to what he says. Um, and I've got to be honest, when I come to this letter, uh, I said this in the first, first uh, it's just so dense and so thick in terms of its meaning and, and very different than the Gospels, as you'll hear as we get into it. It's not story form, narrative form, with which I, I feel very comfortable and, 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 and familiar. Uh, Paul, remember, uh, who writes this, is, um, uh, he, is, he has memorized the entire Old Testament, memorized, word for word. He has been trained in its study. He speaks and writes in five languages. Paul is no slouch. He's not somebody we drug off the street and said here you doing nothing I mean Jesus knocked him off his horse for a reason uh, so when you read his stuff you 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 and, and he tends to write in in a kind of says like Stephen and I were talking in the break he says, grace and peace to you and then he just starts in one sentence and then five pages later he's finished that sentence I mean, really, you, in Greek, it's really hard to tell where the sentences end and the periods are and the capital. What in the world is he saying? And you'll get a feel for that. I'm trying to... So, so all that to say, if you don't understand what's going on at the end of this thing, blame Paul, because I'm trying as hard as I can. And it is so difficult, and yet it's so worth spending the time sitting and soaking in. My hope is that you will say, something's really important happening here. 
I want to learn into this. And whether in your community groups or um, in, in some of the other things that we're doing as a, as, a, as a church, that you'll start to really dig into this. So we're just going to walk through this. I'm going to take one minute at the beginning or two minutes at the beginning to kind of give the umbrella statement of what's going on. And then we'll read through it and then we'll back up and walk through it again. So Miguel and I are going to team, team to this together. He begins, um, praise be to the God. This is Ephesians chapter 1, by the way, in verse 3. By the way, if you're interested in doing this, get a pen or pencil out if you've got your own Bible. And just circle every time in these 12 or 13 verses that Paul says something like, in Christ or in Him. All right? And just keep that in mind because that's going to be a framing device as you can see in the first verse. Praise be to the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I'm going to stop here. This is the umbrella statement that gives meaning, kind of backbone, frame, things to hang the rest of the 12 verses on. And the key phrase on this is the last two words. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. In other words, Christ is the one who receives the spiritual blessings. And those who are in Him receive the blessings that He receives. This is an important way to, to start. In other words, it's not just through the agency of Christ. It's not just because, because Christ came that these things are available. It is because, and he'll tell us why by the end, how you get into Christ. But as you are in Him, you share everything that He receives from the Father. So all of the things that flow out of being in Christ, which we'll now start to detail are available to you, not because of you, but because you're in Christ. You're with Him. Have you ever found yourself in a situation or circumstance where you by yourself have no right or reason to be there, but because you're with somebody who does have the right to be there, you get in, right? You're, you're sitting in the orchestra seat. You can't afford it. You didn't buy the tickets, but you're with the guy who owns the box, Right? Uh, that's kind of, the, kind of the image that he's got here. You don't have any of this stuff in and of yourself, but because you are not just with Christ, but in Him, you share in everything He receives from the Father. So He has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing. Why? Because we're in Christ. That's the frame. Then he goes on. Four, He chose us in Him. Again, just to clarify, who was chosen? Christ was chosen. And as we are in Him, we share in His being chosen. Thus, we are chosen. You see? He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect 
when the times reach their fulfillment. That is, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him, then, we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that, so that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed then, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So we'll just go back and begin. I'm going to try as hard as I can to keep my feet on the ground. This thing just lights me on fire. And so I'm going to really try and manage not to freak you out too much. Because uh, this is, this. Have you, have you, do, do you ever come across something that just reshapes your whole sense of who you are? This is that passage for me. And so I want to invite you into it. He begins again, like I said, bless us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing because we are in Christ. He chose us as He chose Him. And because we are in Him, He chose us when? Before the creation of the world. You are not here by accident. You are not here unknown to the Father. You are here and He knows your name. He knows your middle name. He knows the name by which those who love you call you. And He says of you that you are, because you're in Him, holy and blameless. I need you to sit with that for a minute. You're not holy and blameless. I'm not holy and blameless. Jesus is holy and blameless. But because we are in Him, we are regarded by the Father as holy and blameless. This is important for me. Because often we, we, we disqualify ourselves in this realm. Do you see? We, 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 we create a list of the things that mark us as being something other than holy and blameless. And in my case, the list is long and extensive with footnotes. Right? That disqualify us. But the Father does not look at me through my list. He looks at me through the lens with which He looks at His Son and says of Him and those of us who are in Him, beloved, precious, chosen, holy, blameless. Before the world was even created, we have an identity, we have a purpose, we have a name, we have love set on us. You are framed from before you were born with the love of the Father. This is fascinating to me. Uh, I didn't talk about this in the first service because I was really afraid I was going to run on time. But now, because I don't have a second service, fasten your seatbelt. Because this image comes out of the Ephesian culture in which because of part of the worship of the goddess Diana or the goddess Artemis, you may be familiar that these were goddesses whose worship involved sexual intercourse, full licentiousness uh, of, of a variety of kinds, which result in the births of unwanted children in nine months. And so there is a great deal of discussion as to which of those children 
is legitimately allowed to live and which will be left exposed on the hillsides around Ephesus to die. Can you guess which label was put on the children allowed to live? They regard as holy, set apart, because they were blameless without wrinkle or without scar or without damage. In other words, the best of the children who were born were allowed to be set apart and live. Can you hear the echo on a Sunday morning as this letter is read to the church at Ephesus who themselves perhaps have heard the wailing of the children who were not regarded as holy and blameless dying on the streets? In fact, you might be interested to know that the first orphanages were founded by Christian communities who went around and gathered the children who had been left exposed on the hillsides around Ephesus, around Rome, and provided a home for them to be raised where they would be regarded as precious and beloved and chosen, not rejected. And Paul says, in the hearing of this congregation, against the backdrop of this understanding, in Christ we are holy and blameless. We have a right to life because He gave us that right to live. It's stunning in its power. And again, ten minutes ago, not holy and blameless. In Christ, good to go. I mean, it is that simple. It's that simple in what Paul is saying here. This is not about you. This is about Him. And if you're in Him, you are along for the ride of your life. That's what he's saying. Then he goes on, because, I mean, it's just, anybody just ready to go home now? If this is good enough. You can't, but I'm just saying. Because it gets better. He says, this was God's work before everything happened, and in love He predestined us because of His... You remember that time doesn't unfold for God. It just is. There is no past. There is no future. There just is this expanse. So He is aware of the decisions, because from our standpoint, things unfold serially, chronologically. Things occur that cause other things to occur. In God, none of that is the case. So He is aware of what is happening before, in our thinking, it even happens and is already at work before it happens to redeem what is broken. So even before the Genesis 3 catastrophe of our choice, he was at work to redeem and restore. He plays a winning hand with whatever cards you deal him. That's what this is about. Before the creation of the world, he is at work in us to make us holy and blameless. He adopted us to sonship through Jesus Christ. So again, who's the son? Jesus Christ. In Him, who are we? The beloved children. Adopted children. And the reason he slips that in there, by the way, again, another, another cultural artifact that's worth, worth spending on. He uses the word here that refers to the Roman practice of adoption, which is fascinating in, in its origin because basically the Roman practice of adoption said that if a, a, a Roman citizen adopted a child, he, that is the Roman citizen, could never disown the child he had adopted. 
And that's the word he uses. The Father has adopted you and he will never disown you. Never disown you. This is why in Romans 8, Paul just says, this is why, guys, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't live in a condemnation, shame-filled, shame-based, shame-defined world. We live in the liberty of a no-condemnation, no-shame zone. Why? We're in Christ. We're in Christ. So if you want to make a list of the things that disqualify you, go ahead. But they don't. So I would start to make a different list if I were you. Like the things that flow out of being qualified, of being thought worthy, of being chosen and beloved for no good reason, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what he's saying here, right? So, in accordance, why? With his good pleasure. He does this out of who he is, not out of who you are. This is why it's so fascinating to me, because I discount myself, I disqualify myself by my behavior all the time. If God loved me based on my character, it'd be a toss of the coin every day of the week. But he doesn't love me out of my character, he loves me out of his. Do you see? It's out of His kindness, His pleasure, His goodwill. For what purpose? To the praise of His glorious grace. Every element of creation sings the song of the grace of God. The sun that rose this morning, the moon that, that reflects that sun's light, the stars that twinkle in the night sky, the, the, the roar of the waves as they crash on the beach... All of them are shouting out the glorious grace of God. And we get an opportunity to participate in that song as we just let it be true that we are His precious, beloved, chosen children in Christ. Right? To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given. I know there are are doctrines or, or beliefs of the atonement, that is the work of Christ, that says God was paid somehow by the death of His Son on the cross. Frankly, this is what Paul says. No, 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 you don't understand. Nobody paid God anything. He gave freely out of who He is. Freely means without obligation. He had no necessary condition to do this but because this is who he is this is what he does I don't know about you but it's a good day right let's go on um, uh, and then he says in him we have received then that redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins <sighs> what can we say about this Forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of the things, a setting aside, a canceling out of the debt of obligation. Have you ever paid off a car loan and gotten the pink slip that says the debt is forgiven? That's this. You, you, you no longer owe the price for the sins that you have committed it has been paid, Paul writes in Colossians, paid in full. 
You are set free from the prison of your indebtedness. He will never hold those things against you. That's what forgiveness means. That He will never bring this up again. He will never look at you through the lens of what you owe Him because as far as He is concerned, you owe Him nothing. Why? He's paid it. The debt is forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You are released from the obligation of that lifestyle that has ruined you. And now He has restored you to the life you were built to live in the first place. This is, this is not just about hitting the easy button and do-over. This is a whole other way of being. Because how many of you know if you just hit the button and do-over, you're going to be doing it every 30 seconds. Because the reset doesn't, doesn't take. You can reboot all you want. You need a new operating system. Did that computer analogy help anybody? <laughs> I'm working on spreading things out here, so here we go. All right, so uh, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, same thing again. This is out of his character. This is his grace. This is, and notice the word lavished. Isn't that a wonderful word? That, 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 he's not stingy with grace. This is why when we get down to this idea of predestination, it's just ludicrous to think that he chooses some to be saved and others not to be. He is lavishing his grace. This is a word that talks about a cup that keeps on being poured even though it's starting to overflow and flow out over the table and flow off the table onto the floor. That's the imagery of this lavishing grace. It's, it's an embarrassment of riches. Have you ever been loved so well that you're almost embarrassed to receive the love? That's this. I don't deserve this. I know it's not about you. It's about Him. Right? The riches of His grace. That unmerited favor. With, and then, here's where it starts to get interesting for me. With all wisdom and understanding then, He made known to us, the word here is this experiential knowing, not just an intellectual, but an experiential knowing of what? The mystery of his will. Mystery in the New Testament is, um, is not something that remains mysterious, but something that was hidden and now is known. So something that was a mystery was something that was unknown, but now having been revealed is, is, not, is now known, now understood. And how over the tens of thousands of, 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 of days of mystery right? Over the millennia of mystery. When do we become aware of what this has all been about? He says, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ. So you have this, this imagery of, 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 when I teach Old Testament theology, I, I try and help people with this, because if, if you read the Old Testament with the New Testament in mind, um, you, 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 you miss the mystery, right? So it's like a, uh, like a, what I used in the first service uh, is kind of like a diode. Uh, a diode is, a, is a, a, a small electronic device that prevents current from flowing uh, both ways. It, it enables it to flow one way, and, but not the other way. How am I doing? Anybody, any engineers here that get, get me? All right. 
<laughs> okay, so um, anyway, um, so, 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 so think of this, as, this mystery as diode, all right? So as we come through the Old Testament, what do we see? We see a, a, a God who appears wrathful. We, we see a God who, is, who, is, who seems apparently to be randomly making uh, judgments and, 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 and challenging people to standards that they, and so on and so forth. So we're, we're coming this way. And, 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 and it seems, like, what in the where, how does this make sense in a way, right? Then you come, Paul says, to the mystery of his will in Christ. And now all of a sudden you're looking back at four, five, six thousand years of history. And you see it line up in perfect precision to this very moment. All of a sudden, it makes sense in a way that it didn't make sense when we were coming this way. Do you see? All of a sudden, the pieces kind of pop into relief and sharp focus, where all of a sudden it's like, aha, that's what he's been up to all along. This is not meaningless, random, judgmental harshness. This is the grace and mercy of God moving to a predetermined outcome in the cross of Christ that then realigns everything with meaning and precision and focus for what purpose? That everything reach their fulfillment in the all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is not about your personal salvation. This is about God operating in the world to restore and redeem everything that has been broken since before the beginning of time. This is amazing grace. And Jesus, in Him, Paul says, we get this. We don't live in mystery. We live in awareness that all of the things, because here's, here's how this works. All of the things that you look back on, you'll see this, you'll see this begin, some of you are already beginning to see this. You'll see all of the things in your life going this way that appear random and chaotic, that breakup, that bankruptcy, that disaster, that all of those things, right? All of those things, you'll see those and, 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 and okay, I get it. I don't like it still, maybe, but I get it. Nothing gets wasted. Nothing gets thrown out on the trash. Nobody lets is get left exposed on the hillside. They're precious, chosen, adopted, brought in, beloved, and there's nothing they can do about it. Your life has meaning because you're in Christ. This is amazing to Paul and to us. And so he goes on and he says, What is true about you? It's true about the whole solar system which has been damaged by your choices from Genesis 3. This is Paul in, in Romans 8 as well, right? Uh, where, where, where he recognizes... I mean, I, I don't know how to talk about this except to say what I tried to say this morning. You know, I, I don't know if you had a chance to get up this morning and, and, and drive out or walk out in the cool, fresh air and watch the sun come up underneath the clouds and just have that band of blue with the cloud. It was just stunning this morning uh, driving in or, 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 or watching the, the sunset or, or, or any of those kinds of things. And I need you to realize, this is what a fallen world looks like. This is what a fallen world, this is what a world damaged looks like. When you, when, you, when, you, when you pick up that Brigadoon rose and inhale the fragrance that has been part of its 
inbreeding for 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 a hundred years, that gorgeous Brigadoon rose. That's what fallenness smells like. Can you imagine? I can't. But can you imagine what a redeemed creation will look like? Can you imagine the wonder of a rose that smells like it's supposed to smell? Of a sunrise that is unfiltered by centuries of misunderstandings and sinfulness? Can you imagine the wonder of the person sitting next to you revealed in all their glory? Can you imagine? That's what he's working towards. That's what you have in Christ. That's the wonder of being in him. But he doesn't stop there. Keep on going. He goes on and says, Miguel, thank you. He doesn't say Miguel. I said Miguel. (laughs) Jesus sometimes says Miguel, but not this time. So, in him then, we were also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of him. Again, who's predestined? Jesus is predestined to this wonderful plan. And those who are in him share in his predestined outcome. That's what Paul is arguing here. To the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to his will. Nothing gets wasted. Everything contributes to wonder for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. So that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. That is, we now join our songs with the sun and the moon and the stars who are proclaiming the wonders of God. We join, we, I will not be outsung by a rock. That's what Paul's saying, right? We who get this, the first generation of those who get this, the apostles, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, that's what this is about. So that we can sing out loud the glorious praises of God and invite you to join the choir so that you too who are included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. This is amazing. Next thing. He goes on and says, yeah, next one. That's good. Thanks. When you believed, that's how you get in Christ. Now, please notice, this is not simply a a mental ascent to to a a series of of facts, data points. That's not what he's after. Believe is, to, is, is to, to reorder your life in the light of the new reality. To stand in faith. It's not mental ascent. It's to stand in this reality that, 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 that is in Christ. Because remember, He will never disown you, but you can walk away from Him. So this is an ongoing, having believed and continuing to believe, we stand by that mechanism, if you will, in Christ. And as a result of that, we're marked, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's this image of this imperial seal that moves us from abandoned, betrayed, left for dead to heirs of the King, heirs of promise, recipients of an inheritance 
of grandeur and glory and grace and mercy sealed by the Holy Spirit held in place that identity is held in place by the gift of the Holy Spirit who guarantees you will get what's coming to you in Christ the redemption of all things in the heavens and on earth I have no idea how to end this because this doesn't end right where does this get activated it's when you walk out of here in a few minutes and stand in the reality of who you are precious beloved chosen forgiven redeemed sons daughters of God whom he will never disown recipients hands open wide of a promise oh how he loves us and not stingy not finger shaking but greets us with a sloppy wet kiss come home there's a place for you I know your name I think that's going to affect how you walk into your classroom tomorrow morning. I think it needs to affect how you relate to those you live with as roommates and friends, colleagues, husbands, wives, boyfriend, girlfriend. I think it relates to how you treat strangers on the street. Because you know who you are and they don't yet know who they are. Will you become part of God's plan? To remind them of what is true of them too. So that they, by believing, can come into alignment with identity in Christ and receive the glorious riches of the inheritance that He has promised. Jamie and, and, and uh, folks are going to come back and just give us an opportunity to sit with this for a few minutes. But as they do, if you want to make your way to the tables, uh, communion here at the crosses, please feel free to do that. If you want to have somebody pray with you, you can do that. But Lord Jesus, we just are so grateful for the, for the dense, thick promises that reshape our entire sense of self and identity. Uh, Lord, we, we don't want to live as if this is not true. So I ask you to teach us what it means to be in you. I ask you to, to challenge us day by day, moment by moment, to be who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.
thoughts. We need your spirit, oh God. 